Our sermon text this morning is Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. All right. We are almost to the end of Galatians. We got this week, next week. The plan originally was to finish this week, but I just did not feel like I could deal with Galatians 6, 1 through 10 uh, in one sermon. And I know you guys are super thankful for that because that would have been a, a dreadfully long sermon, just like the old days. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to take it piece by piece, as we said last week. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 today. It really goes all the way back to Galatians 5, verse 25, though. Last week, we, we started by reading, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then the way we approach this passage is we said there are six characteristics of a Spirit-led church. And I just wanted to start out by saying that basically, simply, the church is a people of the Spirit. We are a people of the Spirit of God. So the best thing that we can hope for the church at Trace Crossing is that we would become a people of the Spirit. And that forces us to ask some questions. Is that the testimony of our church? Is that our witness in Tupelo? Is that how others see us? Are we a people characterized by the Holy Spirit? Those are the questions that are kind of framing Galatians 5 and 6. Now, I don't know that I have been more impacted by a single book of the Bible than I have in, in my study of Galatians and journeying through it with you over the, this, this year, really. Um, and so as, as I reflect on the end of this journey, I, I do believe the Lord has just given me this deep, penetrating, joyful desire for our church. And it's not profound. It's, it's really simple. My deepest prayer and hope for our church is that we would become a living and breathing embodiment of the gospel culture of Galatians 5 and 6. That, that's, that's what I want. If, if, if we could become a living and breathing embodiment of the gospel culture that is expressed in Galatians 5 and 6, I believe the Lord would work in us in phenomenal ways in the city and to the nations. Now, that's only going to happen if our faith is rooted in the gospel doctrine of Galatians 1 through 4. This is why Galatians is so impactful. It's both and gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Now, those phrases are not 
uh, unique or, or new uh, for me. They're from Ray Ortland's book, The Gospel. It's a book that we give out uh, whenever, whenever we have folks coming in here, pre-pandemic days. We would give out books to guests, and, and his book, The Gospel, was one that we would give out, where he talks about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Here's what it means. It means that we confess that Jesus, both God and Messiah, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day, and ascended to reign as Lord of heaven and earth, and will one day return to set all things right. That's gospel doctrine. And then gospel culture is we live like we believe that's true. We live like we believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what the scriptures say that he did. And when we live like we believe that's true, that's when the person of Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, is seen in a body of people. Where the, where the Jesus of the scriptures is seen in us. Both and gospel doctrine and gospel culture. That's what we are. The body of Christ in which Jesus shows himself to be who he said he was. We are a body that is bought by the blood of Jesus, but is that what people see in us? Is that what they see? Is it obvious that in our collective corporate body, we reflect who Jesus is? We will never outgrow Galatians. As we move past it, as we move on to to other parts of Scripture, we will never outgrow what's in this letter. I just hope we will grow into it. I, I hope that's what happens. Because the alternative, and Paul shows us what the alternative is, the alternative is dreadful. The alternative to life in the spirit is life in the flesh, which is really no life at all. The alternative to a gospel culture is a fleshly culture characterized by partiality and legalism, moralism and licentiousness, division and dissension, deception and comparison that leads us to provoke and envy one another. The alternative corrupts us and will eventually destroy us. We talked about three descriptions of a spirit-led church last week. We're going to talk about the final three today. But before we dive into these final characteristics of a spirit-led church, would you just resolve with me to pray? I'm not going to pray, but I just want you to resolve with me to pray. Would you pray that the gospel would become so precious to us that we can't help but live according to its power? Would you pray with me that Jesus would be so sweet to us that we want nothing? We want nothing else but to be the aroma of Christ in our church and in our city. Now, this this final section of the body of Galatians is is real. As I said, it runs from verse 25 of chapter 5 all the way to verse 10 of chapter 6. Last week, we talked about these three characteristics of a spirit-led church. A spirit-led church keeps in step with the spirit. A spirit-led church refuses to compare or compete with one another. And a spirit-led church cares for one another. This week, we have three more, and we're just going to walk through them one by one. First, a spirit-led church supports the ministry of the word. Second, a spirit-led church sows to the spirit. And and third and finally, a spirit-led church perseveres in doing good in the church and the city. All right, so three characteristics of a spirit-led church. First, a spirit-led church supports 
the ministry of the word. So let's look at Galatians 6, 6 first. Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, in case you didn't catch it, Okay, let, let, me, let me tell you what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that a spirit-led church, a church that is in step with the spirit, will financially support their pastor. Oh, everybody in the room just like looked up at me like all of a sudden because, yeah, yes, it, it's as awkward as it sounds. Okay, I'm feeling it. Like I feel the awkwardness in the room. I feel the, the awkward vibes from the live stream even. Okay, it's this is awkward to talk about. It's, it's very awkward for me to talk about. But Paul wrote it, so I blame Paul, okay? And I, we're not going to skip over it. Honestly, I actually was really tempted to, to hide verse 6 into last week's sermon. You know, just kind of put it there at the end, and maybe we would have it read, and then just make a couple comments on it, and then move on. Just so we, we could avoid the, the awkwardness of a pastor telling his congregation, hey, if you want to, hey, look, if you want to follow the Spirit, you best pay me. You know, like that's just what the Spirit, you know, wants you to do. Honestly, it, it actually is really important that I tread carefully here because I would never, ever want to give you the impression that I'm trying to use Scripture or you for financial gain. Because, I mean, you see how delicate this is, right? Like, a pastor could just say, God says, pay me. Pay, pay me. Pay the pastor. It's what God says. It's what it says in the Bible here. And I'm, I'm sure many, many have done that in the past. Martin Luther he had similar concerns. As, as he was writing a commentary on Galatians, he was deeply concerned about this specific verse. Not that he didn't believe that it should be followed. He did. He believed this is something that was good. But he had concerns because of the past abuses of the Roman Catholic clergy and how they would take advantage of the people. But if I avoided this verse, I wouldn't have an opportunity to thank you. I, I wouldn't have an opportunity to express my gratitude that I know is shared by, by our church staff um, Trace Crossing has always been such a generous church, not only in how we give to missions and support the work of the ministry, but in how you support especially the ministry of the word. Trace Crossing has always done that. I've been here for five years as a staff pastor. You have never failed to take care of my family. You've never failed. I've, I've never worried about that. I have many friends in ministry. Some of them have horror stories of how churches have taken advantage of them, and I cannot relate to that. Because you are so good to me. You're so good to Erica and my boys. You share all good things with me. And so I, I'm glad to talk about this because this isn't, this isn't something where I feel like we really need to hammer down on. This is something that I can rejoice in and say, Trace Crossing supports the ministry of the word. And not only are members generous in giving so that we can, we can support church staff, we have elders and we have a finance team that are in unison on supporting church staff. There's no division there. No one's at odds. And it's, it's just a blessing. And so I, I just want to say thank you. Whatever your role is in this, I, I, I want to say thank you. And since th this makes it so easy, I really just want to say one thing about this verse. There's one thing that I want you to see, and it's the word share. All right, look at verse 6 again. You, you may not have, have noticed it. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul's saying if you are taught the word, if, if, if there's a, a man who is teaching you the scriptures, who is sharing spiritual treasures with you, then you in turn share material treasures with him. But, but notice the word, share. 
Now, the Greek word that is translated here as share is from the same word that we translate elsewhere as fellowship. Fellowship. This is a partnership. The financial support of a pastor is not a payment for services rendered. It is a pastor to give us what we need, and then we'll pay him for it. How cold that would be, how separate, how distinct the pastor would be from the congregation. This is what happens when discipleship, but particularly the ministry of the word, the teaching ministry of the church, is viewed as transactional and not communal. What, what happens here when one person is proclaiming the gospel from, from the pulpit, from this stage, this is not something that I'm doing and you are just receiving. This is something that we are doing together. This is a partnership in the proclamation of the gospel. The picture that Paul is painting here is of church members who partner in the ministry of the word and the shepherding of the flock of God. And that's so encouraging to me because it means that I'm not alone. Avery's not alone. Josh is not alone. We are in this together. We are after the same thing, the proclamation of the gospel, the glory of Christ being spread to the ends of the earth. So we should each give generously to support the church staff, not so the church staff can just gain or not so that they can provide services that we need, but we need to do that because we are in partnership together and we need to do it in this spirit-led attitude. We are not consumers paying for a product. We are partners in fellowship supporting the work of the gospel. So a spirit-led church then supports the ministry of the word. Second, a spirit-led church sows to the spirit. A spirit-led church sows to the spirit. Verses 7 and 8. Let's read them together. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now what we have here is what they call a truism, okay? It's a self-evident truth about life in God's world. Whatever you sow, you reap. You, you reap what you sow. It, this, this metaphor is self-evident, so I'm not going to waste your time or insult your intelligence by giving you a million examples of how this works. But obviously, if you sow tomatoes, you'll reap tomatoes, not corn. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the idea that, that we have here. By the way, there are a lot of gardeners at Trace. I, I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Like, I don't know if the pandemic has like, brought that on. You guys just got bored or what. But I have noticed that. Like, I always imagine like gardeners, like you know, back in Kentucky, there's always people that lived out in the country. But it's like everybody in Joiner. You know, everybody got a garden. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm thankful. You know, I hope you guys will share with us. But my neighbor just, just started a garden like the other day. So uh, I don't have much experience with this, but I do get it. If you sow, if you sow tomatoes, you're not going to get corn. You're going to get tomatoes. Okay, and that's, that's the, the idea behind this metaphor. Now, this principle does not mean that if we do something for God, then he's going to in turn do something for us. This saying isn't conditional. It's, it's just a fact. It's a fact of life. Whatever you sow, that's the thing that you're going to reap. And so just as there is this embedded code into physical life, for example, sowing corn reaps corn, sowing a poor diet reaps poor health, there is this embedded code to spiritual life. I mean, I would love nothing more to, to sow, you know, that's why this verse to me is so startling. Free grace, Paul. You can only be saved by the work of Jesus, Paul. 
wrote this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul's very careful in how he worded that. We will reap eternally what we sow presently. We will reap eternally what we sow presently. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap the consequences of the flesh. Corruption, decay, destruction, death. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap the benefits of the Spirit. Renewal, Christ-likeness, blessing, and life. Now, sowing to the flesh means that you're self-centered, Sinful nature is setting the pace of your life. And we've all experienced this. We know how this works. When we sow dishonesty in a relationship, when you're sowing dishonesty, our relationships are corrupted, not because God's out to get us, but because that's just the way that life in God's world works. If you sow dishonesty, you're going to reap relational corruption. Your relationship will break down. When we sow jealousy and envy in our relationships, our personal contentment breaks down. Bitterness takes its place and divisions start to spread. But sowing to the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is setting your life's pace. Now, if, if, if you live according to the flesh, you will receive what the flesh produces. The simplicity is frightening. But if you live according to the Spirit, you will receive what the Spirit produces. And Paul doesn't offer a qualifier here. He doesn't offer anything else. It's just bluntly there. It's regardless if you claim to have faith in Jesus. Do you see how startling this is? You can claim to have faith in Jesus, recite Bible verses all day long, But if your life is characterized by the rhythms of the flesh, if we are sowing to our sinful desires, we will reap the consequences. The rhythm of your life is the evidence of who or what you really worship. So Paul says here, do not be deceived. Now, I actually want to point out a... Christian version of sowing to the flesh. Because I think when we think of sowing to the flesh, we think of just godless people who are living according to their own way and they would never darken the doors of a church. But we need to consider the the Christian version of sowing to the flesh. It involves a lack of self-awareness that mocks God. It's this attitude of thinking, doing, living, however we want you know, coming to church and reading, you know, reading our Bible occasionally and all that. But, but in reality, we are the master of our own life. And we do whatever we want. We think whatever we want. We, we live however we want until things start to go bad for us. And we have this threshold. And, and we'll give in to our sinful desires until we, we reach the end of that. Then we turn back. And we try to claim the gospel is our life. 
We want to reap the harvest of the Spirit without sowing to the Spirit. That's what we want. We want to reap the harvest. We want the benefits of of the Spirit without sowing to the Spirit. It's a huge problem in Bible Belt evangelical Christianity. It's a huge problem. We want what the Spirit produces without living according to the Spirit. We want eternal life without living life now in the Spirit. We, we avoid the Spirit's heart by failing to love, failing to sacrifice, serve, show mercy and grace to one another. Yet we expect to magically be transformed into the image of Christ. It happens when the Spirit isn't setting the pace of our lives, but instead our politics or our cultural ideologies or our sinful desires, whatever they may be, are at the helm, at the driver's seat. And this kind of life, this kind of life is so much easier than the journey that Paul is encouraging us to to walk on. It's, It's easy to live according to your natural, sinful, selfish desires. It's easy to just do what you want in the flesh. It's easy to get what you want to protect what you want at all costs and then claim Jesus on the back end but not live for him in the moment. God, forgive us of this. Paul is saying you can't reap the harvest of the Spirit apart from sowing to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh your whole life, you will not reap eternal life from the Spirit. You'll reap corruption from the flesh. And What seals it for me is in verse 7. My goodness, verse 7. God is not mocked. Can't claim him on the back end. You can't show up on judgment day and expect to receive the benefits of the Spirit. If you haven't been sowing to the Spirit, God won't be mocked. You can fool everybody else and you won't fool him. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I know most of you are probably familiar with this, and I probably have quoted C.S. Lewis a record like six sermons in a row. Probably just going to keep it going to the end of the year, just a Lewis quote every single sermon. Um, But C.S. Lewis said, In the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. That's so blunt. This this passage is so blunt. It should shake us to our core. We can't just use Jesus' death and resurrection as a get-out-of-jail-free card at the end of our lives. In other words, if your gospel doctrine isn't producing gospel culture in your heart, family, and church, then it's not from Jesus. It's not saving Yes, we are saved by God's grace and his grace alone. We receive it merely as a gift by faith in Jesus. We could never earn a place with God. We could never obey enough. But the same God who sends grace sends his spirit to indwell us, to lead us. 
We are in danger if we are living according to the flesh. So what do we do with a passage like this? Knowing how prone we are to fall off the path, to stop walking by the Spirit and to walk according to our sinful desires. What do we do? We pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I would encourage you to do that this week. Pray that the Lord would search out your heart and reveal to you where you are sowing to the flesh and not to the spirit. It, it matters eternally. But there is so much good news in these verses too. There's, there's a, a frightening warning, but there is so much good news. There's a promise here. If you sow to the spirit, don't, don't move past it. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap eternal life. The metaphor works that way too. If, if you are sowing to the Spirit, it's, it's, there's not a maybe. It's not like God's going to evaluate it at the end, maybe if it was enough. No, if you are sowing to the Spirit, you are showing that you have been rescued by Jesus and you will reap eternal life. It's guaranteed. It's foolproof. Even for messed up sinners like us that continue to drop the ball all the way to the finish line. Sowing to the Spirit will never fail. And that's good news because by God's grace, those of us who have received Jesus by faith have also received the Holy Spirit. And that means that we have every resource we need to sow to the Spirit. God has given us everything we need to sow to the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit is ordinary Christian living with a long-term perspective. We're playing the long game here. So keep praying. Keep gathering for worship when we're able to gather. Keep participating in the live stream if that's what you're going to do during this season. Keep building relationships in the church. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep showing mercy. Keep forgiving each other. Keep repenting. Keep longing and working for justice and peace. Keep going. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Because these seemingly insignificant, ordinary Christian lives that we lead right here in Tupelo will yield fruit. And will continue yielding fruit far beyond our own lifetimes. The harvest will come in. And it will be glorious. And it will never end. So sow to the Spirit and don't stop. All right, a Spirit-led church sows to the Spirit. And finally, a Spirit-led church perseveres in doing good in the city and the church. A Spirit-led church perseveres in doing good in the city and the church. Last two verses here. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good 
to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so a spirit-led church perseveres in doing good in the city and in the church. Five things to notice, five things, racing through them. Number one, we notice here that the Christian life is more concerned with doing good to the person right next to you, doing good to other people in the city, in the church, it's more concerned with that than it is creating a million programs in the church for church staff to run. Okay, that, like, that's, that's the Christian life. You want to know what it looks like to sow to the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit? Do good to somebody else. Do good. Do good to them. So when, when we are sowing to the Spirit, we're going to be doing a lot of good for people. We're going to be working for their best. I mean, if you think about it, one way that we can easily glorify God, the creator of all things good, is to bring about as much good in our corner of the universe as we possibly can. So the Christian life is more concerned about doing good than anything else. Second, second, we notice here that we are to do good, not just talk about doing good to others. I'm really good at that one. I'm so good at talking about doing good. I'll have all these plans. You know what? I, you know, we've lived here for three years, and I haven't met our next-door neighbor. You know? I mean, like, we haven't even taken that step. We should, we should have them over. We should, we should, you know, bring them in, find out who they are, get to know them, love on them, find out what we could do. And we, we talk about it all the time. And then it's like, you know what? Next year we say, it's been four years that we've lived here, and we've never, you know, we don't know their name. We, you know, we haven't talked to them. I'm sick of talking about doing good in the city to one another in the church. Paul doesn't encourage us to talk about it, have meetings, you know, strum up a committee to talk about doing good in the city. He says, do good. Do good. And now some of you may be thinking, well, I do good because I share the gospel. And the best that I could ever do for someone would be to share the gospel with them or to pass out a tract. And, you know, that's, that's definitely true. Um, but it's not true if we leave them hungry or in need. The Christian version of doing good isn't code for evangelism. We're, 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 co- we're called to meet any need within our power that we can meet. We're, we're called to offer aid wherever we are able to, whether it's spiritual or material. And there's a lot of need in this world. So, so Paul's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to keep in step with the Spirit, do good in this messed up world. All right, third, we notice here the scope of doing good. He says, you're to do good to those who live on your street? No. You're to do good to those who live just, you know, in, in your area or those that are in your, your circle of influence? No. Paul says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Everyone. No qualifiers. Everyone. Not just those in our family, not just those in our neighborhood, not just those who look like us, everyone. And that's something I want us to do. As a staff and as elders, we have an opportunity right now where so much has changed that we're able to reevaluate our ministry philosophy and approach to not not only discipleship within the church, but um, in how we impact the city for good. We're able just to say, hey, what, what could we adjust? How could we change? How could we extend the glory of Christ and his gospel? How can we bring it to bear in our city? What, what can we 
do? How can we do good in our city? And I want us to find more ways to serve the people of Tupelo because that's where God has planted us. How can we meet their needs? I'm kind of, I'm actually asking questions hoping you give me an answer. I don't know right now, okay? We, we, we don't have any concrete plans for how we could do that. But here's what I know we're going to have to do if we're going to impact the city for good. We need to know the people who live here. We need to know them and make relationships with them. We need to love them, actually care about what happens to people living in Tupelo. And we need to resolve to use our gifts and use our resources to serve them. And we need to pray for the opportunity to do so and for the wisdom to know what to do. But we're to do good to everyone. But fourth, he says, yes, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, he says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul's saying, look, I'm calling you to work for the good of any random guy that you meet on the street. So you dang sure better be taking care of each other. You better, you better be doing good to each other, those who are in your spiritual family. So I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would continue being good to one another and doing good to one another. May, love, may we love each other so much that we just anticipate new ways that we can work for the good of one another in the church. And, and the fifth and final thing I want you to notice in, this, in these couple verses, we are to persevere in doing good. That's, that's the most interesting part of this. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Weariness. Many of us are weary. I'm weary in a lot of ways. But I've actually reflected personally this week. Am I weary from doing good? Are, are you? Are you weary from doing good? Is, is Paul's counsel here refreshing to you because you're doing so much good that you're like exhausted? And then Paul says, listen, don't grow weary. Don't give up. And it's refreshing to you? Or is this a foreign word to you? Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. I pray that it would be refreshing for us. What if we each committed to do so much good in the church and in the city that it makes us tired? What if we became a church that needs this exhortation? Listen, I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're giving so much of yourself to this messed up world and to one another in this church. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. But don't grow weary in doing good. Press on. Keep going. Now, it's not going to take much convincing for us to start doing good. I don't, I don't think I would have to convince you guys over a two-hour-long lunch to start doing good. But we like results. We like to see impact. And a lot of times, when you strive to do good, you don't see it for a while. There are countless examples that you could think of probably from your own life. We want our good deeds to yield immediate results, but that's not how life in God's world works. Paul does say, we will reap in due season if we don't give up. So don't allow a lack of results keep you from loving your neighbor, loving your fellow church member, and working for their benefit. Paul concludes his main section here of this letter. And he says that we should do good to everyone, especially those in the church, as we have opportunity. And that we should never give up in this great work. 
whenever opportunity arises at home, at work, in the city, do good. Whenever opportunity arises in the church, do good. And there will be plenty of opportunities in this broken world, in our broken church, to do good. So keep in step with the Spirit, and He will take you to those who need some goodness in their lives. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is in our church. I I can say this with confidence, because I know that the Holy Spirit indwells everyone who is trusted in Jesus. Now He's going somewhere. He's taking us with Him. All we have to do is follow. Paul is saying it over and over again. He says, walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. The Spirit is taking us to the very heart of Jesus. So as we follow him, we will become more and more like Jesus. We could not possibly hope for a better life. Because no matter how much our earthly circumstances change, nothing and no one can take this life-giving, joy-filling Holy Spirit from us. So let's sow to the Spirit by doing good to everyone we can at every opportunity that we can. And may we never grow weary in this task. Let me pray.